0: This is Mike Brockway, and you're listening to The First Deal Show.
1: Welcome to The First Deal Show with your host, Caroline with a K. On this show, we're talking about investors' first investment property. Join me for a trip down memory lane as we hear the good, bad, and ugly of that first deal. Caroline with a K here with a very special guest, Mike Brockway, who's based out of Denver, Colorado. He is the Acquisitions and Investor Relations at Switchback Holdings and a full-time real estate investor, although he has a bunch of other titles, but this is what we're going with today. So welcome so much, Mike.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Caroline. Pleasure to be here.
1: Glad to have you. So we're going to get right into the Kiss Me segment, and I'm going to ask you a few questions to warm you up and so that the 4-2 can get to know you a little bit better. So what was the first album that you purchased?
0: All right, let's do this. Um, First album, I would say, is... I don't know if I purchased it or my mom got it for me, but I was super young. I had a cassette player, and I just remember listening to Hootie and the Blowfish on repeat like for two years straight.
1: (laughs) What? Why? (laughs)
0: Couldn't tell you, but um I will never forget that. <laughs>
1: oh, cool. All right. So I've had a few people cassettes, so you know, you're you're not dating yourself at all. I actually had someone on that had their first um like album was a eight track.
0: Oh wow. So, okay. I'm not yeah. that old. I I don't I don't yeah, feel no. old at least. <laughs>
1: no, you're not at all. you we're like the same age. Um okay. So the next question is what was the biggest challenge that held you back from investing in real estate?
0: Um, I definitely say it was my time allocation and my mindset, honestly. Um, I always, I've always like dabbled in real estate, at least during the first part of my journey, but until I started actually focusing on it hardcore and and putting the hours in, um, I wasn't super confident and I wasn't, I wasn't like able to, to level up and scale. But once I said, okay, like this is a priority of my life. This is what, this is my why this is how it aligns with my why. That's when I started seeing a lot of success and just like anything else, you know, once you put the reps in and, put, and focus and um, attention there, you'll you'll start moving in the right direction.
1: Oh, I love that because mindset is such a huge key piece and I think a lot of people take it for granted that like, mm-hmm. nah, it doesn't matter what I think. Right. It does. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: so what's something new that you learned or did during the pandemic that um, other people might not know about you?
0: I was trying to think of something something funny for this, um, but during the pandemic, I actually started my first Airbnb, and you wouldn't think that's a great idea, right? People aren't traveling. Um, people aren't people are staying inside. Um, there, there's some fear out there in the streets. But I had the opportunity to take that time to furnish my first Airbnb. One of my units um, is in a duplex. The tenants moved out, and. I said, you know what, instead of trying to find new tenants right now, I'm going to furnish this unit as an Airbnb and essentially learns ins and outs of how to create a profitable Airbnb. And I found some success in that. People actually preferred to stay in Airbnbs versus hotels. So when individuals did start traveling again, the Airbnb bookings increased and, you know, I would totally do that all over again.
1: Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. And what is your favorite quote?
0: Um, My favorite quote is one that I try to keep in mind as I'm going through hard times, but um, I have it written on my wall here, but it's, it's the ultimate measure of man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at, at times of challenge and controversy. And I would say, you know, I should practice what I preach here. When you're, when you're going through a difficult time, it's hard to maybe, you know, keep your emotional intelligence up or stay level headed. And I, I always try to practice. You know, treating others how I want to be treated in a tough situation, and just just keeping my composure and being able to execute under pressure. Um, that can be applied to real estate deals. It can be applied to personal relationships, and it's just something that I try to think of as I focus on self improvement.
1: Yeah, no, that's great because I, I I definitely will agree with you that when tensions are running high, emotions run out the window. So mm-hmm. to keep your EQ up is is very good. Um, Cool. So Mike, now that we've gotten to know you a little bit better, you feel a little bit more relaxed, we want to get into your first deal. So tell us what was your first deal in real estate?
0: Yeah. So my very first deal was back in 2015. And this is before I knew what bigger pockets was before I knew what house hacking was. And I really just wanted to own a house. Um, you know, everyone talks about the American dream, owning your own property. I was <clears throat> living in Colorado at the time. It was my first year out here, um, just outside of Denver. And I was just trying to get the most bang for my buck. So I purchased a property that was 3,000 square feet right between Denver and Boulder. Um, I'm sorry, Boulder's up north, Denver's down south. So right in the middle, I was working in um, Denver at the time. And I had a couple of friends of mine that were my roommates at the time. They were working in Boulder. So I bought a property that was right in the middle, right off the highway. And one of the metrics I looked at was price per square foot. And that's, again, n- not knowing what I didn't know at the time. Um, that was what I was basing my purchase off of. And I just wanted a lot of space for not a lot of money. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, um, this house is on a corner lot and you need a little bit of work on the exterior, but the interior was like, had fresh paint, fresh carpet. So for the most part, it was ready to go. Um, there was an, an unfinished basement that i planned on finishing to create more um bedrooms and add a second unit actually downstairs as a mother-in-law unit which i did but i bought that house for three hundred thirty-five thousand, and i remember having like instant buyer's remorse and kind of being afraid of of that just just buying my first property again my mindset wasn't um aligned with where, where it is now and my risk tolerance wasn't very high so i was a little bit nervous when i closed
1: Mm, so, what? Where did you come up with the price per square foot metric? Like,
0: it's just something that was showing up on on Zillow on the MLS, mm. and I, in my mind, that that was a value play. You know, if I can get get a bigger house for cheaper, then hopefully I couldn't lose if you know once I closed.
1: Okay. So, I, I appreciate you being honest and sharing that whole buyer's remorse. So, let's dig in a little bit deeper here. So, what mm-hmm. type of financing did you get for the property?
0: So, I used conventional financing. I didn't use a FHA or first time home buyer's loan or anything like that. And I, I actually put 20% down because I did not want to pay PMI. And looking back on it, now that I'm comfortable with leverage and I understand different uh, metrics and, you know, cash, I'm a, I'm a cash flow investor. Um, but I don't think I would have done it the same way if I had to do all over again. I probably would have gone low money down, saved some of my capital to purchase the next property. But long story short, did, did a conventional loan 20% down and the payment on that property with the, the, the mortgage taxes and insurance, I was at about 1600 bucks per month were my fixed costs
1: that's what i pay for right now (laughs) (laughs) new york city (laughs) i know wow okay so um you mentioned that you had some friends that also lived in denver so did you end up having them like as roommates and then how did that all play out
0: yeah so the game plan was just to to have a house to have more space have a garage um and I, my current, my two friends, they actually went to high school with them, um, in New York when I was, when I was growing up there, they had already moved to Colorado and I moved in with them when I moved out here. And the game plan was for both of them to move in, which is why I bought fairly close to Boulder. Um, after all is said and done, one of the two guys decided to move in. And then I rented one, another room out to a, another person that I knew. Um, she was also from my hometown. So I knew who she was. I trusted her to live with her, um, and she she knew both of us as well. So it was a pretty good fit at that point in time.
1: Okay. So, and how long did you stay in that property? Do you still own it today?
0: Um, I ended up selling it um, last year. That's a that's an interesting story, but I'm, I'll totally dive into that. But I was there for about two years, um, you know, one to two years, and I. When I closed on my second property. I moved from that property to my second property. Um, But at the end of that two-year mark, um, I had three roommates at that point in time. Two of the the bedrooms were rented out. And then the basement was rented out as well because I put a second kitchen down there. So it was a a mother-in-law space. Mm -hmm. And I think what's what's pretty mind-blowing there or just shows you the power of real estate investing and house hacking in this case is that my fixed expenses were about sixteen hundred bucks a month. Um, I was renting each room out for what was it? I think seven hundred and fifty bucks a month back then, mm-hmm. and I think that that's what I started with. And then I increased that to like eight hundred bucks a month per room, and depending on if it had its own bathroom or how much how large it was. But I, but long story short, I was living there for free, and I was cash flowing a thousand bucks a month positive with that house hack Oh my and that's, gosh. yeah, that's where the light bulb went off. I was like, okay, like I want to do this again. Like, let's go.
1: Mm. So then, you know, you had mentioned that you had some buyer's remorse. So like at what point did you, you know, cause you still went through and fix up the basement to create that mm-hmm. mother-in-law suite. Like where did you get that confidence from? Like how do, were you able to still pursue this even though you had that fear?
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I, I grew up, kind of working, you know, different, different jobs throughout the, you know, summers in high school and college. So I was fairly handy and I was totally open to putting that set sweat, that sweat equity in. So I just started working on that downstairs unit, um, in my spare time. And so it was, it was like a long, I'd say it was a long remodel. I I don't know if I would do that all over again, but at the time I learned a lot and I was able to save some money versus paying contractors to do it. Um, as far as like where that confidence came from, I think at that point in time, I was listening to Bigger Pockets and I was talking to other investors. I was going to more meetups and talking to individuals that were already doing this or had done it. And you know, if, if they're doing it, why create the wheel, right? So I was like, okay, like these guys are doing it. You know, i I feel like I'm a pretty intelligent person. This seems pretty straightforward. Like I'm, I want to add some value to this property and I want to increase the cash flow and I really want to make it a really great living environment as well um because the house was so big there's 3,000 square feet again um the the basement itself could have been two bedrooms and the upstairs actually had um four bedrooms but so i only rented two rooms i lived in one room upstairs rented two rooms out and then i rented the full basement out to a couple um but once i moved out and it was a straight investment i wanted to maximize the income potential on it mm-hmm. and therefore rent out um what was it two downstairs you know all five to six rooms in that property as a, as a room by room rental to really increase the the profit.
1: So did your tenants mind like having different roommates or like, how did that pan out? I'm just curious. Cause you know, I know like some people, they won't room with random people. So how did that play out for you?
0: Yeah, really good question. And I think a lot of people I tell the story to, they're like, Oh, like that's weird. Like I would never live with a stranger. Right. Um, but I, this is definitely more hands-on when you when you start going with this room by room strategy or a house hacking strategy. Mm-hmm. But the returns can be a lot better as well, right? So the management was 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 fairly heavy. Um, I only rented to young professionals because I wanted, and that's how I started with with my friends who were young professionals and myself. so it was it was very easy to 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 talk to those individuals about the, the living situation, Also tell them like, hey, this is the type of person that lives here already everyone's done background credit checks it's you know two kitchens shared um common spaces shared kitchens the garages for storage so i really just put a lot of information out there on the listing platforms like craigslist and facebook that i utilized at the time Mm -hmm. to just make sure people felt comfortable and that was in itself screening applicants so the only the right people applied which saved me time on interviewing them running credit checks, running background checks, doing showings. And I was pretty strict about who I let um, move in. Um, because of it's because it's a shared space, I was really looking for people that were only people that were the right fit.
1: Okay. And then you said that you had moved out to Denver and you were working at the time?
0: Yeah, I moved out here. I took about a month off just to explore and see the sites and really decide what, like what I wanted to do. Um, as far as my career goes, but it was just really easy to get another job in financial services. When I was in New York, I worked for, worked in private wealth for a Goldman Sachs subsidiary, doing, working with high net worth accredited investors. And then when I moved to Colorado, I was thinking about switching it up, but I ended up landing a job with Fidelity Investments in their investment product group, also in asset management, but not client facing. I was focusing on sector mutual funds, um, and ETFs and and educating actually financial advisors on how to implement a sector strategy in their clients' portfolios.
1: So it sounds like you had your hands full managing the people the tenants coming in, managing the property, working on the basement, and then still working your full-time W2 job.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was definitely definitely hustling at the time. And that second property I bought that was also a small project as well. so that that transition was you know my life was pretty busy at that point in time.
1: When did you end up quitting? Because you quit your W-2 job, right?
0: Yeah, that's that's a great story as well. But um, I quit my W-2 job the day I closed on my second property. I wanted to get another rental property under my belt. Mm-hmm. And I scheduled a closing on my last day of being employed. Um, however, the last my last two weeks of being employed were vacation time. And I was spending it in Hawaii. So... <laughs> I gave a friend of mine power of attorney to sign for me when I was gone at the closing table uh-huh. and I'll never forget this moment and I don't I would never do this again and I would never suggest others do this or or take this risk but I was on a dive boat scuba diving and in between dives I got a phone call from my old boss and he said hey like your lender just called to see if you still worked here to verify employment and it was my <laughs> last day of like technically being employed on the books even though I was on vacation luckily he was, he's a pretty cool guy. He, he understood my, my strategy enough where he he said to them like, yeah, Mike like, technically still works here. Um, the loan closed just fine. Everything worked out, but, um, it was definitely a little bit stressful. And the reason that happened is because they actually turned off my email early because I was on vacation, right? I didn't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't able to reply back to the lender saying like, Hey, yeah, I still work here. So they called oh my, my boss.
1: <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh, dude. Okay. <laughs> wow. All right. So that's very cool. I, I think, um, you know, 402, like that's something to like take mental note of, right? Because a lot of people use the, I don't have time excuse. And clearly if you listen to Mike's story, he found the time, right? If you're committed to something, you'll find time to do it. Um, and so Mike is actually, you know, I mentioned that he's working in acquisitions right now. So he's transitioning into the commercial space and he actually has a really cool story about how he got an industrial property. So I thought we'd dive a little bit into that. If that works for you, Mike.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think for me, you know, the re- the small multifamily properties, the, the single families, the duplexes, the quadplex that I own as well, all those properties were monumental. In transitioning to commercial or or leveling up. Those properties, again, because I invest in cash flow, they're able to provide me with me enough cash flow where I can feel comfortable to focus to have my time freedom to focus on other things. Um, the first commercial property I purchased was somewhat of a uh curveball as well. This was a it's a 000 square foot warehouse in Denver, Colorado. And I I own a small business that that kicks off. Enough revenue to get qualified for um, an SBA loan. And during the pandemic, during COVID in 2021, the SBA, the Small Business Administration, they were offering a lot of benefits to help business owners. Um, some of your listeners may have heard of like the PPP stimulus, the EIDL stuff. Um, they were also offering benefits for individuals that wanted to purchase real estate for a business or purchase a business. And I jumped on that opportunity. We were looking for a space for, for, for the small business. And this was just a good opportunity to take advantage of favorable loan terms. So diving really quickly into the numbers here, it was a roughly $2 million property. And this ties back into that first deal as well. Um, I sold that first deal, that first house hack to my sister for 500,000. So I bought it for three thirty-five. It appreciated to five hundred thousand. I think it's like roughly thirty thousand bucks of appreciation per year. And she had actually lived there when she first moved to Colorado, and she liked the house. So when as soon as she found out I was selling it to do a ten thirty-one exchange to the commercial property, she wanted to buy it. I was actually under contract or, under contract with another per buyer, and I they were giving me a little pushback about like some small things like paint and carpet. So I was able to back out of that contract, went under contract with her. Um, I gave her a a discount on it, um, down to, it's like 485. And then I wrote down her cost basis even lower Mm -hmm. for taxes because I was doing a 1031 exchange, I wasn't too worried about, um, the profits on that property. And she got into a, a great cash flowing house hack, um, she did a little more work to the property, actually created another bedroom to even boost cash flow even more. And I was able to be in a fairly flexible situation to ensure that my 1031 exchange went well. Um, So going back to that commercial property, when I sold that that first house hack, I was able to apply those funds, those proceeds to the down payment on the commercial property and not pay taxes on them. The down payment on that commercial property was only 10% because it's an SBA loan. And, um, so it's about 200,000 and most of that 200,000 was made up of the, the proceeds from that first house hack. So it really, really, it really fueled my, my commercial journey. Um, and 10% down on a commercial property is pretty unheard of. Yeah. So I was not going to pass that up. And the SBA also made, they were going to make our first six months of payments. Um, but they made our first three months. Things tightened up a bit, but each payment on that property is about per month on on that loan size. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was like 30,000 bucks that was essentially free from the Small Business Administration on top of the other benefits and the favorable terms on that loan.
1: Wow. That's amazing. So, you know, you mentioned that you used your business to acquire it, but do you have other businesses that are storing things or have things in the warehouse or how does that work? Like how did the leases work and
0: yeah. Good question. Um, so the, the intention was to almost like house hack that commercial property or like business hack it in a way. So we, per the loan terms, we are required to occupy 51% of the property. So the business needs to be there. Um, but we can, we can rent out the remainder of the property. But we've been doing a little bit of work to the property. I think we've had it for about six, eight months now. And the right now we have rented out the additional space. It's about 5,000 square feet of the 17,000. We rented that out on a medium term, um, I guess game game plan to other businesses that needed a space for like a month or two. But the the game plan is to get a long-term tenant in there to, to sign like a three, three year lease triple net lease. So if they, if we can get rent that space out for about 5,000 bucks, that will cover about half of the the mortgage and then there's there's a lot of taxes and insurance on top of that. So I would say they might be paying like 25 to 30% of the costs associated with that building um, only utilizing 5,000 of the 17,000 square feet.
1: Oh wow. Okay. And does your business actually use most of the space up? Or-
0: yeah, right now it's using the entire space because there's no there's no tenant in there this month and it's a it's event a it's a tent and event rental business that I end up starting with some friends and then I brought in a business partner where he runs that business primarily. Now I act as a CFO and I really try not to spend a lot of time on it. But, um, right now our business is just using a lot of the space. Um, just there's some, there's some inventory disorganization right now, but we're getting that 5,000 square feet cleaned back up, cleaned out so we can get a, get a long-term tenant in there.
1: Um, so you said you have some temporary tenants in there right now. Did they sign any leases, or they're just storing things?
0: Um, this month there is not, but in the past there was some temporary tenants in there on a from a month-to-month basis.
1: Okay, interesting. So can you talk a little bit more about the triple net leases, just to because we haven't, I haven't had a guest um, that's in the commercial space, not in the industrial space, anyways. And so I think that would be really valuable for the listeners to kind of understand how that works and how it might be different from. Multi-family and single-family.
0: Yeah, definitely. So it's going to be very different from from single-family or like a typical um, rental property. So when you when you when you try to find a triple-net tenant, you're putting a, a, a cost out there, which is typically based on square feet. So in this situation, that's I right up you... your alley. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. How about that cost per square? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think what the what was suggested to us to get to that 5,000, but essentially the, the tenant is paying, I think it was like 10 to 13 bucks. Um, a square foot was like our target, which would get us our rental amount. And on top of that, within a triple net situation, they're also paying their share of utilities and costs associated with the building. So they're not only paying for their rent, but they're also paying, um, for their portion of all of their expenses as well. And And it depends what you throw into that scenario. Um, given the situation, but that's, that's super advantageous because that covers a lot of costs that the, the property owner has. And if you buy a building that's, you know, say it's, it's multiple spaces in that warehouse, there's three tenants. You essentially divide up the, the costs pro rata based on the square footage that each tenant is using and charge that those costs to that tenant. Wow. That's so sick.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: So then and so then you don't have to do like much maintenance or much work to the space, is that right? Like
0: Yeah, the, the the interior definitely not. Once you get a tenant in place, um the a lot of times the tenant, because it's their business and their business is their livelihood, they take a really good care of that space. Um, they want their business to be successful, they want their customers to perceive them as a successful business. Um so they, they take care of that space like it's their own for the most part. I would say there is some maintenance on the exterior. Um, you know, like we have a sprinkler system, the grass has to be mowed, um, the, the parking lot needs to be plowed in the winter, stuff like that. And right now I'm, I'm self-managing it, I would say. I'm not the best commercial property manager, um, to be honest. But So eventually I'll hire that out, that out as well. But it's been a good learning experience, to say the least.
1: It sounds like property management is your thing. You're like investor relations, you managed all the tenants that you had and now you're managing the, you know, commercial tenants that you have.
0: Yeah, yeah. As I transition to um, coaching individuals, raising capital, looking at larger multifamily deals, um hopefully like in the 100 unit range with some partners of mine, I'm slowly taking this stuff off my plate because like like I said earlier, um, one of the hurdles that stopped me from investing in real estate was that time allocation right i I can't right now i can't level up and look look at larger multifamily properties or syndicate deals or raise capital if i'm still playing small and managing my you know my single family rentals or my airbnbs as an example
1: wait so are you managing all of the stuff that you own right now
0: currently i have um some light property management so i have um yeah i have a I have uh an assistant that works for one of the businesses Mm -hmm. she she helps a little bit here and there um i also have a va that does some of the messaging for my airbnbs and once you build out systems and templates and sops you can i think light property management works a lot better and building out your team with trustworthy people um i don't have any employees technically on the real estate side but i do have strong partners so As an example, like my handymen are great. Um, I know a lot of contractors that, that I try to outsource to, and I would say my, my, my cleaning team, um, like they're absolutely amazing. I I definitely pay them a lot of money, but it's worth the peace of mind. I don't have to worry about if they're going to show up, if the place is going to be clean, um, they tell me about everything. If something's broken, they really treat it like it's their Airbnb or their rental property.
1: Oh, that's great. Having the right people around you definitely Mm -hmm. um, puts you at ease. But Mike, you can't be light managing your stuff, man. You got bigger and better things to be doing.
0: For sure. For sure.
1: Cool. So tell uh, the 402 a little bit about what you're getting yourself into. So it sounds like you are focusing primarily on multifamily and the 100 to 200 unit deals or?
0: Yeah, we're looking for class B and C properties, 70 plus units. So in, in Denver... Um, or maybe like north south of Denver, we're probably gonna be in like that that unit count just because we're we're trying to target our capital raising abilities between like our purchase price is between 10 and 15 million. Um, and that's limited because of our capital raising ability. We just want to make sure, you know, we're confident on every single deal that we can raise raise enough capital to close and offer our investors a pretty solid return. And that that class B, class C space gives us some room to to add some value, increase rents and give our, give our passive investors returns. Um, and then we're also focusing on Kentucky as well. Um, Craig Curlop on my team, he's a good friend of mine. He's also in a similar spot in his real estate investing career, and he's looking for deals in, in Kentucky. Those are going to be a little more, less expensive. So we should be able to get more units if we purchase a deal in Kentucky, but that's, that's the game plan. And I'm also, so that's, that's the passive side of things. Um, I'm working with investors or or building my network with folks that want to be passive. They don't want to manage an Airbnb. They don't want to buy a house hack. Um, they don't want to you know swing a hammer or be involved at all. So that's that's a solid offering for passive investors. And on the active side, I'm also helping investors that want to get started. So I'm I'm, I'm working with them briefly on the front end, trying to figure out what's what's best for them to get started, and then I'm referring them to real estate agents that can most, that are most beneficial for them, that are, that are really targeted, whether it's Airbnb, house hacking, um, luxury, luxury property, condos, whatever it might be.
1: Yeah. So 402, if you're looking to date an agent, Mike, uh, can be that <laughs> connection for you. I'm just kidding. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. So where can the 402 find out more about you, Mike?
0: Yeah, my my Instagram handle is mbrockway120. So first initial last name 120. And then my email address is mike at switchbackholdings.com. I'm also on on Facebook and LinkedIn under Mike Brockway.
1: What is the 120? Does that is that is there a significance to that?
0: Um, my my lacrosse number in high school was 12. So I wanted it to be M white 12, but that was not available. So I added an extra zero at the end and it's just, just stuck with me.
1: Very cool. Um, so there you have it four oh two. Thank you so much, Mike, for coming on the show. And I hope, uh, that you have a good rest of your day.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for having me.
1: 402, did you learn something or take away a golden nugget? Then I'd love it if you would share this episode with a friend. And I'd really also like to talk to you about real estate on Instagram or LinkedIn. So follow me at First Deal Show. If you know someone that has an amazing first deal story or you just want to give us the dirt on your first deal, shoot me an email at firstdealshow at gmail.com and let's get you on the show. 402, thank you so much for listening. I love all of you and I will see you next Friday.